Today is November 24th, 2020, and you found another episode of Thinking Through Autonomy. Today, we're here with Israel Stahl, author, rocket engineer, yes, the real kind, an expert guide in empowering people to harness their own creativity and innovation. Israel's back with us for an encore. Why do you ask? Well, because you asked for it. Israel has two of the most listened to episodes on Thinking Through Autonomy through our third season, and his show page is one of the most visited pages on our website since COVID emerged. It's clear that his message resonates in these difficult times. Welcome to Thinking Through Autonomy, a podcast to help you understand the promise and impact of autonomous land and air vehicles in our world. I'm Ken Dunlap, managing partner of Catalyst Go, taking you on this journey. Hear and read more at thinkingthroughautonomy.com. Now it's time to take your hands off the wheel, foot off the pedal, hand off that throttle, and let's go. Israel, welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Good morning. Thank you very much. As I mentioned, we're living in the age of COVID right now, and, and I trust you and your family are doing well? We are doing wonderfully well as well as our dog. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. One of the things that you and I thought that we needed to talk about a little bit more is how things are changing now in terms of creativity and innovation in this age of COVID. And, you know, things seemingly have turned upside down. And I'm wondering, Israel, why do you think that your messages on creativity and innovation resonate in these times? I think it has to do with the challenges that some companies are encountering because of COVID. Many companies lost their clients or some of their clients due to bankruptcies and closures. They lost revenues, significant revenues due to reduction in sales of their services and products. They had to lay off or furlough quite a few of their valuable, highly qualified employees. And uh, the employees that are staying or are remaining with these companies face their own difficulties. They are demoralized. Many of them are disappointed. They encounter a great deal of uncertainty, fear of their job security, employability, as well as financial insecurities for themselves and their families. So you combine all of those, and those companies have some serious challenges to come out of it, and creativity may be one way to be deployed to help some of these companies. And I I picked up on the word maybe. So does that mean that creativity and innovation may not be the best medicines in all circumstances, or am I hearing that wrong and creativity and innovation should be looked at as the only key to get out of this COVID crisis? What exactly would creativity and innovation do for us these days? I think creativity and innovation, if it's properly deployed and practiced, it's going to help a great deal uh, the companies to turn around Uh, the difficulties or deal with the difficulties that they are encountering uh, uh, nowadays. I don't think that creativity and innovation 
is the sole solution for their problem. It's one of the important approaches of dealing with, the, with uh, COVID. And you and I, we just talked a little bit and you shared some of the effects on creativity and innovation that we're seeing in our companies. But there's a personal toll, isn't there? there there's a toll on everybody who comes to work. What are you seeing in, you know, in terms of the people and employees who are having to live with COVID at home, live with COVID in the workplace? What is the effect on employees' attitudes that you're, you're seeing? That's a very good question, and I don't think there's a single answer to that, because it depends to a very large degree what kind of jobs different people have, different employees. But uh, for people that are on site, that are personally involved with continuing to do their jobs, often they they encounter a great deal of competition uh, for resources. There's inter and intra departmental conflict and strife due to this competition. Uh, There is still a deep sense of insecurity among these people because there is a reduced pool of qualified and skilled people and resources. There is a competition for those that are remaining. Often there is disruptive communication, whether it's because of geography, uh, different places, different, uh, let's say, part of the company are different geographies, and sometimes there are difficulties even communicating virtually. So I think it's safe to say, and and probably, you know, goes without saying that what COVID is doing in the workplace is magnifying problems that are already there, but it's also introducing new ones. Is that fair? I think that's a fair statement, yes. Mm -hmm. So why don't we talk about we, we keep mentioning in the, the opening six minutes, creativity and innovation, and yet we really haven't defined those for the audience. Could you maybe step us through and, and say a little bit, what's, what is creativity? What is innovation? Are they the same things? But So let's start at the top. What, what's creativity, Israel? Okay, I can, I can describe it in a, in a visual sense, okay? So I'm asking the listeners to imagine that they are in a universe of accessible information, access to different experiences, know-how, and so on. I'm in the middle of the matrix? Yes. (laughs) Okay. Yes. But I hope you stay there, at least for the duration of this this podcast. Would you do that for me, please? I promise. So, so that, that's a very creative uh, answer that you just gave me. Okay, so at any rate, um, please imagine that you are in a universe of accessible information uh, in different areas, in engineering, sciences, culture, literature, all walks of life, basically. And then there is a problem of some type that somebody encounters, and that person or team or a group of people take some of those seemingly unrelated bits of accessible information and then they combine them in a certain fashion and they combine it a way that is aimed towards solving the problem if they do it in a way that is really unique and very distinctly different from anything that was created before that's what is called a singularity it happened for the first time okay at any place before. That is an invention. That my definition of creativity 
and the process, creativity is recombinant imitation with a new twist. So any invention involves a, a twist, something new, something that was that recombined different bits of information and know-how into solving a given problem. Uh, the process itself can be defined also as uh, creativity is the process of uh, problem solving by inventing or conceptualizing novel approaches, solutions that benefit someone or something. While the innovation is the process of implementing some of these novel solutions that benefit somebody or something. Creativity can exist without innovation, but innovation cannot exist without creativity. I hope I answered your question, Ken. Yeah, but you know, I'm, I'm a little slow this morning and I wanna maybe just take that group of statements apart. So if I understand you correctly, creativity is the process where I'm combining ideas and I'm creating an idea that hasn't existed before. Is that right so that, far? That is correct. And innovation, on the other hand, is taking those ideas, that, that creative thing that this team just put together, and turning it into something useful for somebody. Correct. Okay, all right. So 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 I get that now. Yeah, when it, when it applies to innovation, the key word is implementation. Innovation implements the creative ideas. So some people can be creative, other people can be innovative. Do you see people who are creative and innovative at the same time? Are those two different skill sets? Yes. Uh, different people have different aptitudes, among, among which uh, they have aptitudes to, to be creative. Some people are, have a knack for implementing things. Okay, There are basically four categories or when it comes to creativity, uh, and those four categories are exceptionally creative people. They are the people that are creative, they are, the, the third group is the competent practitioners, and the fourth group are the practitioners. So when you go towards the exceptionally creative, normally those people are the creative people. They are not necessarily the innovators, but as you move towards the competent practitioners, you get more into the people, into the category of people that generally are involved with implementing things. And that is innov the innovation. Thanks. So let me just move on a little bit because I think I understand the foundational parts of creativity and innovation. But getting back to, to the idea that we are in this age of COVID right now, companies are struggling sur for survival. Workers are struggling to figure out really how to get the next meal on the table, especially with what's happening to the economy. And I'm wondering if we maybe break this apart. So if you're running a big company, what are some of the pressures right now that our companies are facing when it comes to creativity and innovation? Well, uh, companies, especially big ones, they have what's called the corporate inertia. Uh, they are used to do things the way they've done it before COVID. And some of these approaches, some of the uh, business models and methodologies are not necessarily suitable for the new environment created by this epidemic. Hence, I think deployment, more effective deployment, deployment of creativity innovation 
will be beneficial to these companies. Well, that that brings up a good question, I think. If you are in the middle of this super gigantic company that does things the same way every day for eons, right? Since the beginning of time, this is the way we always did it. Do you think that you can have appreciation in this world where COVID is affecting everyone on where innovation and creativity should fit? Or is that just you know a discussion that's outside your realm because you can't think any differently because the way the people around you think the same way? I think the latter, the latter is very applicable to, to your question, but not all, compa- not all organizations or companies are affected to the same degree uh, by, by COVID. Some companies such as, uh, let's say, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and so on, those are let, uh, uh, pharmaceutical, those are put in, in the category of essentials, okay? They have their they have their practices. Everything has worked out, and it's generally immune to to the disruptions that are caused by COVID. There are other companies that are affected very badly because uh, many of the, those remaining among them, uh, among their employees, uh, have to work uh, virtually, okay, away from their offices. And some of these people uh, encounter some difficulties. Uh, those difficulty, difficulties include a sense of uh, loss. Since they are unable to be personally involved with what they have to care, what responsibility them and their teams have to carry out physically. Uh, they feel sense of isolation and anger. And those are the people that uh, that could benefit from from a different approach to running their organizations or companies. Uh, so it's not universal. COVID doesn't affect all companies the same way. That's that's a point I'm trying to make. Yeah, point point well taken. And, and you know, on, on the more personal level, you know, as we opened up at the the start of this episode, this is a thing that each person listening to this podcast is facing on on a daily basis. And in terms of pressures, we all know what our our pressures are. But there's also a a discussion you and I had previous to the start of this podcast, where there are these unseen pressures as well, you know, such as maybe the, the pressure to leave the job you're currently at to go to another one that either pays better or is more stable. Can you, what, what kind of other examples are out there of kind of these hidden drivers that we probably don't recognize and that our supervisors don't recognize? Well, I think that, uh, and it all stems from a deep sense of insecurity, job insecurity and financial insecurity for the employees and often to their families. So because of that, as an outcome uh, or as a result, they, they, many of them feel pressure to look for other jobs that are more secure and pay better. That's one of the pressures. The other pressures I already mentioned before, you know, when they are, while they are still in the company that hired them uh, during or before COVID, they have to compete against other colleagues of theirs. And this is, again, the competition for resources. I mentioned it before 
reduced pool of qualified people. The companies don't have the same uh, number of skilled people that they used to have and so on. And it's very frustrating and demoralizing to these people. Which leads me to think that, based on what you described, that we're living in a world maybe where there's an emphasis on not rocking the boat, you know, not challenging the, the thought because that leads to instability in work. D- does that? And, and, and is that, you know, backwardly hurting innovation and creativity when rock the boat, don't rock the boat is the message? Absolutely. So we were talking so far about some of the pressures on the employees that are left in the companies. But as a result of uh, staying with these companies and, and the effects on the business cycle uh, by COVID, many people are demoralized. They are disappointed about their career, that it doesn't go anywhere. They have the uncertainties that we already mentioned. And as a result, they become, they, they, they become less loyal. They lost They lose the sense of loyalty and drive to take initiative to improve the the standing of the company and improve its success in the business world. Now, one of the the consequences of that, uh, there are employees that become what I call compliant acquiescent. What does that mean? What it means is... They take orders, they do just what they are told to do on their job, but without any initiative. Now, they do that because they feel that they have to maintain their job, job security, and they don't want to rock the boat. So they become very, very, let's say, obedient employees, but the initiative, the creative fire in them is gone. And that's a big loss to the companies. Even though it's not very tangible, uh, in the long run, it can have it can have very, very uh, significant adverse effect on the company. But it seems to me that's kind of a basic human emotion when, for lack of a better word, the world around you is crumbling a little bit, isn't it? Absolutely. I am sure, Israel, that every listener on this podcast is suffering from death by Zoom right now or death by Microsoft team meetings, or, or death by whatever the current video platform of choice is. Let's, let's talk about that. Let's talk about our virtual workforces and keeping employees motivated in a virtual world. Can we do that? Or is the rest of our professional careers gonna be spent staring at a computer screen and watching 16 colleagues in a square in a small corner of your computer monitor talk about the next great product improvement or why some forms have not been filled out properly. So are you, are you asking whether the prospect of continuing to work virtually is going to be uh, very, let's say, damaging and detrimental to the attitude of employees? Is that your question? Well, I think two things. Yeah, I think, you know, is it damaging? And then the second part would be, is it damaging innovation and creativity? And 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 then the third part would be is, how do you keep somebody motivated? Yes. So I, I think that it can be damaging to some people. It cannot be damaging to other people. It depends on their job. 
people that are let's let's call them white collar employees uh, many of them work in pretty um, well-defined jobs standardized standardized procedures standardized it and so on uh, accounting they are doing pretty much the same job that they did in their office at their place of employment so for them it's not that it's not that uh, let's say frustrating because they are pretty much used to do the same job but for other people that are forced to go virtual but they are not used to that and things and their, their companies have to respond to the changes brought about covid it can be very difficult so can creativity help these people i believe it can i really believe it can uh, now the question is how do you do that That's well yeah how, how do you entice your workforce to be more creative Okay, so before I answer this question, I think I think we ought to go back a little bit and think uh, about the state that the companies are, uh, many of these organizations are. The fact is that this co- many of these companies have lost their revenues, hence money is not as available as it used to be, which translates to a more limited ability to incentivize people by money, increasing increasing their salaries, increasing their bonuses. So the companies are not always able to do that this way. The, the, other, the other situation that, uh, that these uh, companies are facing <clears throat> is, uh, yeah, they, 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 they have to do something uh, if they decide to deploy creativity uh, and I, I'll use kind of a cliche, a, a cliche, and that is grave situations call for uh, brave and drastic measures. What these companies can do is to reorganize or modify their structure to some degree that incentivizes the, the, the employees by means other than money. Okay? Well, yeah, what do you mean by that? Yes, what do I mean by, uh, so you're basically asking, how do you go about doing it, correct? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think you use the word reorganization and right. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I've been in a company that has been structured the same way since the day that the founders um, did it. Are you telling me that we can restructure to make my workplace more creative? Yes. So if you if you are unable as a company to really incentivize people by by giving them more money for what they do, the only recourse that you have is giving giving them some incentives that are non-monetary, obviously. Now, the traditional companies are top down, where you have the executive branch sitting on the top and the executive branch makes the major strategic decisions and those are communicated through the people that report to them which means directors managers supervisors all the way to to the to the workers or the line workers depending on the company now that works but it also has the potential of stunting creativity and innovation uh, i think uh, so nowadays, with traditional companies, 
the executive branch is perceived as something really on the Olympian you know, achievement of the company. They are highly esteemed, they are very, and they should be because all of them are very capable, clever people. However, there's really very, very limited interaction between the executive branch and the employees that do the work. That's a fact. What, I, what I'm thinking is there is a protocol that can change that towards deploying a more effective deployment of creativity. And one of the things I believe that the executive branch has to, uh, let's say, change or create the perception that the executive branch are more actively or proactively involved and participates in deployment of creativity, okay? It's important that employees start to get the perception. I'm, I emphasize perception because physically it's not going to be uh, very realistic for the executive to go down and work with everybody else. It's impossible. But the perception is important. And that is that the executive branch conveys or communicates the sense that they are personally vested and committed to fund and, you know, they are committed to the success of the drive towards creativity. They need to create the perception that they are personally engaged with each creative process or problem solving. And they, they, it will be really advantageous if they are able to communicate the sense that they are personally uh, interacting and contribute and contribute to this effort. Now, how it can be done? There are ways of doing, of communicating this commitment and involvement by occasional uh, tools. Uh, occasional patting on the back that gives a, bun, a bounce in the steps of people. They feel that they are part of a very, very important effort, uh, you know, by the company. Just that attention by the executive, it's so important. Now, that executive can be he or she, it can be the CEO, it can be the uh, TCO, you know, or the most senior person in the organization. But people have to look to this, to, to this branch as somebody that is really invested in the success of, of bringing in creativity. Now, now can I, let me interrupt you right there, because you, you've said a, a lot of interesting things, uh, Israel. Yes. And I want to make sure I understand what, what you're saying. Sure. The, the first thing is you talk about creating the perception. Yes. Now, you know, perception can have a negative connotation or a positive connotation, but I, I guess you're saying that you want to create the environment where. Is that right? Yes. I, I would like to, I, I suggest to, to create the environment where the executive, okay, is perceived as somebody deeply, deeply committed and personally involved, okay, with serious a problem, creative problem, uh, problem-solving endeavors. And, Wait, and, and I'm yes. sorry, but but with the idea that that executive deeply cares about that creativity is not just kind of you know put, put, putting on a mask and pretending to suddenly be creative, but 
you know, is actually being a champion. Is that what you're talking about? A committed champion to creativity and innovation? Absolutely so. So, you know, I, I worked uh, like 36 years in industry and what I have seen, all companies are innovative, all executives and senior management talk about being creative and bringing creativity in their workplace. The fact is, many of them, not all of them, they really don't know what creativity means, its dynamics, and how to bring it and how to implement it and how to foster it among their employees. Furthermore, they also don't know the difference between creativity and innovation. And not knowing the difference and not knowing how to go about it, you know, creates a nice, nice illusion. Yeah, and it sounds good that the, co the company is, uh, is creative, but what does it mean? or innovative. What does it mean? And I, I think there are a number of components that need to take place. Uh, if trying to answer your question, how to bring creativity to the workplace. First of all, uh, the executive branch, they have to decide and commit on funding the, the deployment of creativity in their organization. Without the decision and commitment to do that and without proper funding, Nothing will happen. It's all talk, okay? Secondly, they have to adopt a protocol of or structuring, modifying the organization for this deployment, the deployment of creativity and innovation. I mentioned already before, the executive uh, branch or the executive has to proactively participate and give the perception that he or she are personally involved invested and invested in the success. Well, let, let, let me interrupt you again, and I'm sorry for doing this, but sure. you know what? what I'm, I'm having a hard time relating to understanding what it means to be personally invested in how you demonstrate that over the course of your career. Have you run? Have you run across any good examples that you can share with the audience? of an executive that, you know, is personally invested, that is this champion and and is that person that goes and puts a spring in everybody's step because she or he was personally engaged with them. Yes, I, I had the good fortune uh, to work as a consultant for one year in SpaceX in the West Coast. I think uh, we've heard of them, yes. You heard about them, right. And... Uh, I, I, I have personally seen the effects of Elon Musk, the founder of the company. He is the CEO of the company. The, the man is exceptionally bright. He's a genius. We all know that. But his personal involvement with the employees was absolutely miraculous. I have seen this, these engineers now. Most of them, they, 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 most of them are young. Uh, their average age, the average age in this company is about 28. Uh, but these engineers, they have been so empowered by the proximity and interest, personal interest that Elon Musk has demonstrated only on almost on a daily basis. These people were incredibly committed. You know, they sometimes they would spend like 24 hours, you know, on working on certain problems because of that, you know, sense of commitment and devotion to the company and a strong desire of wanting it to succeed. Now, we all know the results of it, right? Uh, 
I yeah, think, later on tonight, there's going to be a Falcon 9 rocket that's going to take a set of satellites up, and I hope to see that from my backyard today. Yes, well, I don't think I'll see it from Pittsburgh, but yes. Well, I, that's yeah. probably because there's going to be snow and ice and stuff, uh, you know, all over your windows. Uh, well, I shouldn't say uh, that to my friends in Pittsburgh. That's okay. We don't have snow yet, but uh, I know what you mean. I know the sentiment. So did I answer your question? Uh, this is a yeah, very good me, example. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is one of, uh, an incredibly fascinating example. And, and, you know, I'm just, I'm wondering, you know, is that Elon coming up and, and asking you what you're doing? Is that Elon tapping you on the shoulder and saying, good job? I, you know, what does it look like when Elon Musk recognizes what you're doing? It's how to describe. It's how to the, the power of this attention, the the power of the perception that he is so interested in what you do. Incremental as it is in the company, you know, nobody solves all the problems in SpaceX. But you know, the different the different engineers that have their own assignments, they they really view themselves as a tribe. Okay, in other words. If you tribal, successfully tribalize the workforce where they really feel a strong sense of belonging and commit, commitment to the well-being of the organization, you will be able to use creativity you know, to a great effect. And I've, I've seen it in SpaceX. And there are, some, there, are other company, there are other examples in the marketplace, even though I was not involved with them, where the personal involvement of the founders and CEOs also made the companies very successful. For example, uh, Facebook. Zuckerberg, uh, I think Zuckerberg, I don't remember his first name. He was living with the people, his employees from day one. Okay? And that, that commitment, that involvement you know, help propel Facebook to what it is today. Yeah, and it was all based on on building of basically innovating, basically taking a concept that Zuckerberg and some of his colleagues had, that was the creative process, and implementing them, that's the innovation. That's another example. But his personal involvement, the, the perception that he's so close and, and understand the struggles and recognizes the contribution of his of his people, you know, was so important to the success of the company. And there are many other companies like, well, Be- I, I, like Besso and Amazon and so on, you know. Well, I think you've given me a uh, good idea for a follow on podcast, which is what is Facebook really? <laughs> so but but that's that's for another day. You made a really strong argument and gave us some great examples of executives that are personally involved. And and I guess intuitively, I can understand that. And intuitively, I know that's not the case everywhere. And I just look back at my own um, professional life. Besi- besides that, impersonal, that personal involvement, um, is there anything else you, you'd recommend? Yes. So it's a, com- it's a combination of a number of elements. And allow, allow me to, to continue, start again where, where I started uh, before. And that is the company first has to decide, the executive branch has to decide and commit on, on funding and supporting the deployment of creativity. That decision and funding have to be, ha- that's where it all starts. Okay? Now, there's a protocol of organizing the company in a way that facilitates the deployment, that enables this deployment. Now, 
We talked already about the involvement and perceived commitment of the executive, okay, for uh, the, you know the use of creativity and implementation and, and its implementation. The other the other recommendation that I have is a company that decides to move in that direction or to <clears throat> to create a group of I call them creativity facilitators. This facilitator is a, it's a group, uh, a distinct group that uh, is comprised of people that deep, that understand deeply what creativity is, its dynamics, and how to foster it among individuals and teams. Now, this group will have several people, and they will work with different uh, different teams in the company. Uh, guiding them and helping them implement the creativity or deploy the creativity on the projects where they have to solve certain problems. Now, you cannot you cannot get a buy-in from people that are going to be involved with problem-solving uh, <clears throat> endeavors without um, training them and let them understand the fundamentals of creativity and innovation. If they don't understand, you know, th these two, they are, they are going to go through the motions and there are many good researchers and there are many good uh, problem solvers, but they are not going to do it as effectively as they could. Now, coming back to the, to the creation of the crea uh, creativity facilitating group, I'm not talking about a group of very bright people that come in and they are absolutely exceptional in their fields, okay, in their professions, because this is, you know, these people, uh, and I've seen, I've seen it happen. A group like this was formed, but they were ignored. They ended up sitting in the office talking to each other, uh, because the rest of the workforce, the employees, didn't appreciate what creativity is. They didn't get the introduction and training to creativity and innovation, and they didn't necessarily buy into a, a bunch of in, super intelligent people coming and dishing them down solutions, creative solutions. It doesn't work. So uh, the, crea the creation of creativity facilitating group is different because these people are going to be tasked with working and guiding all the teams that will work on problem solving throughout the organization. Did I make myself clear? I believe you did. And okay. we are running close to the end of the podcast. And, and I've been furiously taking notes because I, I find what you're, you're sharing with us really fascinating. And I want to get back to something you said maybe, maybe earlier at the start of, of this discussion. And it was this. I mean, the reality is, is that for many companies today in the age of COVID, Money is not available for incentivizing really any kind of behaviors. Yet, empowerment is available because empowerment seems to be free. So if you want to, if, as I understand you, if I understand you right, so if, if you want to incentivize people to become more innovative and more creative, you are empowering them and you empower them through organizational changes. Which makes me think of this very last question, what seems to be intuitive through the course of this conversation also seems to be a really tough message for management and for company owners 
that you need to, to change your structure to empower. Is that where we are in the age of COVID? I believe so. I believe so. Uh, you know, if, if uh, companies continue to adhere to their traditional way of uh, doing things, I don't think they will be able to use effectively the potential benefits and benefits from creativity and innovation the way it could be practiced. Look, you talked about uh, incentivizing people. If you are unable to incentivize them by, with money, okay, what, what is left for you to do is to give them a sense of importance and sense of empowerment they all, or most of them, like to be recognized for what good work that they do. And, and, uh, and the pat on the back is also very helpful. That bounce in the step goes a long, long way towards uh, encouraging people to, to be more, uh, to take more initiative and to be more creative, you know, in the creative field. And that combined, that combined with some education in this area, that's the training component that I was mentioning to you, and the help and guidance from, uh, from creativity, creativity facilitators, I think that will be very helpful to quite a few organizations. Now, when we are talking about restructuring, I'm not suggesting to change the basic structure of a company. You have the executive branch, you have the director, the directors, managers, supervisors, and so on. I, I believe they can and should stay where they are. Okay? It's all a matter, a matter of creating a new perception. Okay? And that perception ought to start from the executive. Okay? And I already mentioned before. And that'll be your final word. We're, we are out of time today. I want to thank you so much, Israel, for this Encore presentation. You joined us again, and I can't thank you enough. The needs out there, you're popular. You're super popular. So thank you. Thank you so very much. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much for uh, inviting me again. Thank you. 